Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. It's a new week of shows. It's Monday. Hope you enjoyed the weekend. It is Halloween, and... We're not dressed up at all. I guess we could lie because this is radio. We could say that we're in costume. <laughs> you got an like, incredible costume. Oh, man, I, really I look exactly that. like Jason Momoa in this <laughs> costume. Uh, that's right. That's the voice of uh, Rich Miano, our resident football guru. He's up here. It's a Monday. Uh, Kanoa Leahy coming to you as well from the PAXA studios uh, in Honolulu. Josh Pacheco is working the board. Uh, and, yeah, uh, Halloween. Are you like a Halloween guy? I was giving you a little bit of uh, fun teasing uh, over uh, the uh, airwaves on Saturday during our broadcast. Uh, because of the costumes uh, that you and Rob DeMello and Billy Hall and company, Alan Hoshida, uh, all donned for the cover two uh, <laughs> Halloween episode. Uh, you were the, the very big stretch uh, in, in, in character for you uh, where you decided to uh, be a University of Hawaii football player with the helmet and the jersey and all that stuff. What was the story behind that? Well, I, first of all, I forgot <laughs> that we were doing our Halloween edition on Thursday night, so I get to the studio and I'm like pulling like, air pads out of helmets trying to make them fit my big head and slip on a number eight jersey <laughs> and pretend I'm a Kofensis brother for anyone that goes back to the 80s and 90s of oh, UH man. football. Number eight was big. and You know, I can't be Ashley Lalee for obviously obvious reasons, but I was one of the Kofensis brothers. You know, the um, that's so funny that you mentioned that name, and, I, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Halloween and all of that stuff here, but um, that's funny that you mentioned Kofensis because when I was a kid, that was sort of in that time, like right when I started realizing, you know, I was alive and realizing that there was this thing called UH football and my father was calling the games and just kind of getting uh, more uh, acclimated to it and more aware of it and familiar with it. Uh, Confenses, that was sort of the prime time of the Confenses uh, family and that that uh, impact on the program. Uh, so much so that I actually thought uh, Confenses was not the name of a player. I th actually thought it was the name of a play. Like, I thought it was a scheme. I actually, when I was a kid, thought, oh, well, they're, they're running the Confenses play or scheme or whatever. Uh, and it was it was pretty funny. That, that's sort of how uh, that's uh, how ubiquitous that name was at that time. Yeah, and you know there were thirteen of those guys, and about seven of them played here. Some nephews played here, and there was only one Miano. But we were both. <laughs> but we were both. All of us were white and we played safety, and people would confuse me with the Confenses, confuse them with oh, Miano, really? and even our dads looked alike, and they'd be like walking through Waikiki, and get people would think, "Hey, you a Confenses? You a Miano?" It was crazy, man, because I, I was representing the whole Miano name, and there was like. There was Confenses for generations, it seemed like. Yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely true. But uh, getting back to Halloween, so are you kind of like a big Halloween no. guy? Or, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, bro. But, you know, where I live, La Lea, I got John Veneri. I got all these people calling me to use my driveway for parking because it's such a popular spot. People come from all oh, over the island. Yeah, it's kind of funny how some neighborhoods are like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there will be, like, families that will just absolutely Westsiders, migrate everybody. to other yeah. towns and yeah. the kids will go trick-or-treating around the neighborhood. Uh, but you aren't, like... Like a Halloween Scrooge, like you're there with the candy, you're, you're oh, ready yeah, to greet yeah, kids yeah, at the yeah, door. Yeah. I'm not watching Monday Night Football with the lights off, whatever else. <laughs> My, matter of fact, we just went to Long's and they ran out of candy in Hawaii Kai. So oh, no. there's like a little bit of a dilemma uh, crisis going to the Miano household. How can we get enough candy for all those kids that are this coming over This is controversial. Tonight? Somebody call Gina Mangieri. We need to investigate this. They're out of candy in Hawaii Kai. You got to do something about that. It's Halloween for crying out loud. Uh, Josh, are you a big uh, Halloween Halloween cat? Uh, kinda. I mean, I don't really go all out or anything, but yeah. Are you like, are you doing anything for Halloween? Are you going to like a Halloween party? Are you dressing up? Do you have a costume? 
No. No. You, well, you know that's who not is? much of a Halloween guy then. You're you know, like, yeah, I'm totally into Halloween. I, I just I'm like don't my, do anything my, about my it. old my old costume from six years ago where I had a t shirt that said old fart and uh my mask <laughs> was a mask of like a seventy year old smoking a cigar. So oh, okay. uh, that's All the right. closest I've is been to. Is that the recently. best what's your best Halloween costume that you've ever worn? Me? Yeah. I'm was it Thursday on cover two? <laughs> no. The the year before I was a cowboy, but that's a long story too. But anyway, <laughs> do you know who's really big into Halloween? John Venneri again. They, oh, this did yeah. the Star Wars thing. The That's whole right. thing. I mean, they the cars, the house, the the costumes. I mean, the whole caricature. He's he's amazing. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, if it wasn't for his <laughs> uh, resume and for some of his bona fides on like the sports and news and television front, he would just be like a stereotypical like comic book sci-fi geek, right? Yes. Like he, he yeah. is that. Like he's that, that guy. Yeah, he, he's one of those guys. He's like a Comic-Con yeah. uh, type of dude, but uh, you know, also has all of these other talents as well. So yeah, that's kind of funny. You're right. I remember him being very much uh, into <laughs> Halloween. I've had a few, there've been a few years where I was more into it than other years. This is one of those years where I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Bah, humbug. I know this is the wrong holiday, but yeah, that's sort of how I feel about it. 808-296-1420 is the number to call. You can text us in via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, well, it was a scary, speaking of Halloween, proposition for the University of Hawaii football team going up against that Wyoming squad on Saturday uh, because this seemed to be a Cowboys team that was finding itself, right? The previous week, they went for over 500 total offensive yards against Utah State, ran for 330. Uh, they have not one, not two, not three, but like four different dudes that they can give the ball to in the backfield offensively that can get the job done. Uh, we saw that. They're a very young team, fourth youngest team in terms of total underclassmen on the roster in FBS football. Um, but Hawaii had a 10-point lead, and for the second straight game, Hawaii relinquished that 10-point lead. Um, where do you start when you kind of talk about how it went down on Saturday and how it got away from Hawaii in that game? Yeah, and, you know, you just mentioned how young Wyoming was, and you look at the rosters, and you go freshman, sophomore, sophomore, sophomore. There's very few seniors, I think three on the whole roster. And then you look at Hawaii starting 22, and there's almost like I think there's 16 or 17 seniors listed in the starting 22. So a tale of kind of two teams, right? And what happened initially is I, my biggest fear was they wouldn't be able to protect. Sure enough, first and second down, I mean, Austin Hop, it was a bad matchup. He got beat. Shago got hit. And what do you do with a quarterback who's not really mobile? You pressure him early mm -hmm. and change the outlook of the whole game. Well, guess what? Ian Shoemaker... Give him credit for that second drive because they started going hitch, smoke, bubble, slip, yeah. uh, middle screen, touchdown. It was like 13-play drive. Yeah, get the ball out of the hands of the quarterback quickly because you can't protect, and then you'll work on adjustments in terms of protection and stuff. And then they don't come back to that. And, again, Shaker made five, six, seven, eight throws. There was probably five, six, seven, eight drops. There's probably five, six, seven, eight overthrows. So, you know, it's a whole mixed bag of this quarterback and this offensive production. And it's not just talent. They need to get better at wide receiver. And obviously, Pinocchio will help coming back. They need to have more schematical things to get people open and to create uh, mismatches and all of those type of things, too. So I, I'm still, like, I can't figure this offense out. That, that's 
maybe the biggest takeaway that I had after the game. As, as we, you know, we like to sort of debrief afterwards and talk a little story. You know, we listen to the fans' voice and we just sort of shoot some ideas back and forth about, you know, what we thought of the performance or the game. And, and that was sort of my biggest question is, you know, this offense just seems to go through these peaks and valleys. And what we're actually seeing, I think, at least what we've seen in recent weeks, is early on the scripted drives, right? Usually the first couple of drives yeah. are scripted. Uh, those drives seem to be very efficient. And then that starts to go away a little bit. Um, you know, that's when you see Braden Shager sometimes do some of his dipping as well, right? There was one stretch uh, in that game where he was like one for 11. Uh, and it just seems as though when they get off script, that's where you start to see a little bit more ambiguity in the offense. Like, what are they trying to do? We saw them running these deep corner routes. And it's like, wow, they haven't really had much success with those types of, of pass plays here this season. What happened to some of that quick trigger stuff that we saw uh, in that successful first scoring drive, the second possession of the game for Hawaii. Uh, and that's the question I have. Like, what what kind of happens, you think? Uh, why does that offense start to do things that maybe it's, it, despite some of the progress and encouragement on some of the drives where it's like, oh, okay, they're finding something. They're finding a bit of an identity. And then all of a sudden, they're in the red zone thanks to a couple of picks uh, by Peter Manuma. And it's like, they're running trick plays? Like, they're trying to throw it to L. Manning? It's like, well, I don't really know how to process that. How does that strike yeah, you? Yeah, no, no, that's a great description of it, and it, that's why it gets so perplexing is because that play and then the double, the, the reverse pass, which was totally a, a, a huge, could have been a huge loss. Good thing yeah. that uh, uh, last chance Scott, right? you threw it out of yeah, bounds. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and then the other one was the fly sweep on first down where they lost four or five yards, and then they hit, I think it was Tylen Hines, or it could have been Diedrich, but right up the middle for nine yards. That's right. They tried to give it to Chuki Hines yes. on the, on the jet sweep right yeah, yeah. and that, that was a loss of yardage too so you know we don't want to go back to the 100 greatest plays in football because those are all trick gadget type of plays when you're running back average 10 yards mm -hmm. per carry and he only gets 11 carries 9.5 yards per carry you look at the other side of the coin the backup running back the freshman dq he has 180 somewhat yards rushing because they fed him the ball. Now, I know you go into games and you want to get a vertical passing game going. You want to do some things that maybe will surprise the defense. But how do you not look at statistically that Tylen Hines is, even when it's not schemed up or blocked correctly, he hides behind the offensive lineman and then he spurts through, he breaks tackles, and he's average this year. He was averaging almost seven yards a carry coming into this game and averaged close to 10 yards a carry this game, and you only give him 11 carries. I just don't get it. Yeah, that, that's that's the, the stuff that's and so easy, right? I mean, it's this is a tradition, right? It's the Monday after a football weekend, and so Monday morning quarterbacking going on, and it's so easy to second guess and, and, and you know, in hindsight be like, oh, why did you do this? It didn't work out. If it works out, obviously you're having a different discussion, but it just does seem as though they seem to establish stuff early on in games. At least that's what we've seen in the last few weeks. Uh, and then it kind of goes in a different direction. And, and that's a little bit difficult, I think, to process uh, because it does seem as though there are hints as to what kind of team this offense 
can be, right? That they can be this this hard running based team with some of those sprinkled in run and shoot principles, with the opportunity for Braden Shager to make some quick decisions, get the ball out of his hands. He can throw the football. He can no make question. a multitude of throws on the field. The the Wyoming coaching staff told us about that even in the week leading up to the game. He says, Hey look, Braden Shager can make all the throws. Uh the thing is is if we can apply some pressure, um, then that's obviously going to, to change change the game and change the look but yeah that's that's the the part that's that's tough i think and you know when you self-scout yourself so you you look at all that you've done you've done from here every single game you do that then you go back a quarter of the season a half of the season if you self-scout at the university of hawaii and i'm not a conspiracy theorist here but i think you're right about them scripting plays what does that mean that means all week long they're designing 10 to 15 plays that are going to be effective against uh the their opponent it seems to have worked then the other team what do they do they have to adjust mm-hmm. to what you're doing right and then it seems like we either are not making the proper adjustments to continue to attack and be successful offensively and we're getting out coached and i hate to say that because there's more to football than that and we could talk about defense for the next half hour as well right but offensively seems to be the most frustration because in order to win in the Mountain West Conference, you have to run the football, but you also have to score points. And we really don't score points, especially in bunches. And the spurts are so intermittent. Yeah, yeah. This was um, and, and maybe the first time we've seen now a couple of consecutive games where Hawaii has given up some significant rushing yardage as a defense, right? Over 200 against Colorado State, and then you had Wyoming kind of go crazy uh, here this past weekend. Uh, very similar to the rushing performance that they put on uh, the previous week against Utah State. And you sort of expect, you know, Wyoming's going to get its yards. It's what they do. They play very well to their strengths. They're a team that knows now, it seems, here as this season has gone on they know what they are right they know what they're about and i think that uh, somehow contributes to their ability to find success right and be effective having that identity is key is it not yeah no it really is and and i think you know timmy chang's used to having some run and shoot success offensively Ian Schumacher had success at the FCS level and they almost admittingly don't like those 14 15 16 play drives where you got to grind it out but that's what this team is because you don't get enough separation on the receivers <laughs> right and you don't have Jonah Panoke and you're not really talented in the slot so you almost have to go to your strength which is Tylen Hines Diedrich Parson in that offensive line and you almost have to kind of metamorphosis into this running power football team because that's what Wyoming is every year and maybe that's not who Hawaii wants to be in the long run but it is what you have you got to kind of work with what what you're like the hand you've been dealt yes. right and, and yeah I think there is some of that um you know truth be told as well right you have untimely penalties you had that even in the previous week at Fort Collins you have dropped passes that's been kind of a thing here yes but that also I think feeds into perhaps informing uh the the play calling and the play design of like all right well th- that stuff hasn't been so reliable here over the last few weeks that's not to say that you can't down the road find success there but maybe it would behoove us to stick with the stuff that has been more consistently successful uh, in terms of establishing the run they were able to run the football they were able to run right at wyoming against talented defensive tackles they were able to get positive yardage that was another coming out party for tylen hines and it just 
feels like maybe there was an opportunity there. Again, Monday morning quarterbacking, it's a very popular thing in this industry. Uh, and so we, we do not uh, portend uh, to have any of the answers and, and all of the, the things to, to remedy whatever the situation is for Hawaii. But I just think as, as a viewer of the game, uh, that's sort of the, the quandary is it seemed as though there was an opportunity maybe to play more consistently off of that running game because it did seem as though they were able to get positive yards uh, on the ground. No question. And uh, again, and just to segue a little bit into the defensive side of the ball, right? You, you're talking about a team that gave up 360 somewhat yards rushing, but it was 13-13 going into the fourth quarter. So they had the two interceptions. They were bending. They weren't breaking. They were playing pretty good red zone defense, forcing field goals, all those type of things, right? So, you know, defensively, there was more missed tackles, and I think there was more blown assignments when mm. I just kind of looked at it from a, a standpoint of uh, viewing the game a couple of times. But at the same time, you know, did they play well enough to win defensively? No, you never do when you lose. But, again, this is an offense that has to find uh, schematic things like when they reduce the formation running mesh routes, uh, when they get the ball out of their hands with bubble screens, slip screens, smoke throws, uh, all that type of thing. They were successful on that. In the duress that Shaker was under early, it just seems like this is going to be a game where we're not going to be able to protect We've got to get rid of the ball quickly in the quick game, and we also have to run the football. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. All right, we got to take a break, but first, a uh, reminder, as we talk a little pizza as well in this Let's Talk Sports program, Domino's Pizza is here fighting inflation with you, and they got the special going when you buy two or more items, still only $7.99 when you order online or on the Domino's app. Domino's Pizza Hawaii, proud sponsor of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy. All right, more with our resident football guru, Rich Miano, when we come back. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu, being joined by my partner on the Spectrum Sports pay-per-view telecasts of University of Hawaii football and our resident football guru, Rich Miano, is in the house. All right, so with the loss to Wyoming, Hawaii, Rich is now uh, not going to be able to put together a winning season. It will be a non-winning season. Uh, they can still win out and win six games. That would put them in a position to maybe sneak into a bowl game. We've seen that in the past, uh, so that doesn't necessarily preclude them from a bowl opportunity. So they could, at least theoretically, still finish uh, 500 at 7-7, seven and seven perhaps. But um, I'm just wondering, is there a point, are we there yet, or is it too early to do this? Uh, or, or is this even something that you do think about if you're uh, a coaching staff? Uh, do you start thinking about, all right, this season is kind of going in a certain direction. It's going to be a non-winning season. Do we start to put in some of these younger guys to get them some experience so they have at least some experience points going into the offseason? Or is that unfair to the seniors? And you alluded to the fact that there are a lot of seniors on this roster, especially guys who play significantly, uh, significant time for this team. Uh, how do you approach that 
concept. Yeah, it's an interesting dilemma, right, Coach Chang has, and we've talked to him at length about this. You know, so you do have this situation, right, where your offensive line is made up of a plethora of seniors. That's why you want to get solo some work, Vipulu, and he's got a couple more games, but you do want to redshirt him and bring him back. Otherwise, you're bringing back five new offensive linemen. You have the same thing, really, on the D-line, right, when you talk about JT and you talk about Blessman Ta'ala. Those are two seniors. Those are stalwarts. The linebacker court, Panay Pavi, and then you got Logan Taylor and you got Isaiah Tufunga, all seniors, right? So you want to sprinkle some young guys in, but you don't want to burn their year of eligibility if you can help it. But yeah, you do still want to play for the seniors. You don't want to give up on this season because when you look at this rest of the schedule, right, Fresno State, they're beatable. They struggled and shouldn't have won that San Diego State game this past weekend. Then you go to Utah State, one of the weaker teams in the conference, right? And then you go to UNLV, who's played sporadically and they've got some talent, but they're not killing anybody in the Mountain West Conference. And then the last game is against Chevin Cadero, and I think that <laughs> may be the most exciting matchup on the schedule based upon Chevin leaving and the relationships and the Hawaii-Anna thing. And so, you know, I think you got to be real careful, and I think Timmy Chang is being careful with who do we redshirt, who do we burn a year of eligibility, how many young guys can we get playing that wide receiver position and some of these other positions. But, man, you talk about having to go rebuild again next year year wyoming's not rebuilding next year they're reloading hawaii's got to fully rebuild yeah no you're right i, I think those are those are really valid points again we got rich miano up here 808-296-1420 is the number to call you can text in via the zephyr insurance text line uh are you worried about the defense uh, having been gashed by the running game something that they actually uh, at least in conference games uh, had uh, redefined themselves within right was was their ability to stop or at least uh contain the opponent's running game uh, that kind of changed a little bit against a team that you know granted lives off of that but that did kind of change the the discussion and the paradigm a bit yeah it did and and so i do worry about that because i was asked uh by a, a number of people whether it was that hawaii got that much better in terms of technique scheme talent and how did they do that and you know we were like at a loss for words when that change came against san diego state nevada colorado state kind of right they still had over 200 yards rushing but they did you know do some good things in the running game but i, I do think it, they've gotten better they've inserted better personnel especially peter manuma oh, who's man. you know taken over at the safety position he's like legit <laughs> yeah. andrew Choi does things well he's not a standout but he does things well right logan taylor's coming downhill but it's easy to come downhill and this is what I'm getting at is when Blessman Ta'ala and JT and those guys win up front, Ezra Evai Malo and Fo'oi Shaw, mm -hmm. when those guys win up front, it's a lot easier playing linebacker. They didn't win up front this past game because that was a good offensive line. So if you have a good running game with a good offensive line, you're going to win, and we're not athletic enough to, to be a big-time defense. So it is a combination of both. We're coaching better. We're, we have better players inserted. We have a, probably a little bit better of a scheme, but we just don't have the talent to stop the run on a talented running offense. Yeah, and I think what, what is uh, also unnerving, and you kind of touched on it, is the fact that you have so many seniors – 
that headline this defense like so many, particularly those fellas up front. I mean, you look across the starting lineup on defense, and it's like senior, 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 senior. You got the standout freshman in Peter Manuma, but they're going to lose a lot. And so that sort of circles me back to the idea of in a season like this, is is Timmy Chang and company, uh, are they more likely to maybe get some guys, some experience, because they're going to be so inexperienced come spring ball. Yeah, and I, like I said before, I think they are trying to sprinkle in some receivers, some D linemen, some linebackers, whatever else. But I, I don't think you do wholesale changes yet. I don't think you give up on this season. But you have to be cognizant. You have to recognize we're losing all this talent. And the one thing about college football, and we saw that against Vanderbilt, there's no preseason. There's no inter-squad scrimmages. When the lights go on and you got all these new players who never played before and you're tackling people in shorts and, you know, you look good running around, you got a nice body and, you know, you look the part. Shit, when the lights go on on, on Saturday, Saturday night, you want to know that can this guy play or not? All right, we're uh, going to take another break. Listen to the Rivals Fantasy Football Show presented by Rivals Sports Bar and Lounge and the Waikiki Malia by Outrigger. Ask our weekly fantasy experts for advice on your team and win NFL memorabilia Wednesdays at 8 a.m. on ESPN Honolulu. All right, we're going to dip into the bucket of questions when we come back with Rich Miano. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. You did it again, by the way. I, I, I'm hoping that we dumped out of it, but you did it again, Rich. Uh, Rich, uh, you know, is 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 known uh, around these parts to occasionally drop a uh, a word, uh, one of those verbal bombs that uh, is, um, let's just say, banned by the FCC. And so, uh, Josh Pacheco, who's working the board, uh, very quick on the uh, on the reflex there, was able to dump out of it. I think. Well, well, being a young international superstar like myself, I'm more into <laughs> podcasts, right, where I can say whatever yeah. I want. You know, yeah. people want to know my true feelings the fcc is limiting me all right well if if we get fined <laughs> it's coming out of your pocket that's all I, i'm I trying agree, to say I all agree. right it's, it's coming out of your uh, nfl <laughs> nfl pension my pension will pay for that <laughs> All right, let's uh, dip into the bucket of questions. It's a Monday. There's a, a fresh batch of questions that have been tossed in there. Josh, you want to help us out? I'm surprised Rich hasn't used the word we're canceling him. No, we're not. We're, <laughs> that, that's that's what the 20-somethings would say. There you go. I like <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, first thing, pull out of the bucket, since you guys were talking about University of Hawaii football, why not mix UH football and Halloween together? So uh, who is the scariest player in UH football history? Uh, Am I going first? Scariest. All right, well, let's let's define this first, right? It is Halloween, so this is a very much a, a Halloween <laughs> question, but scariest player. So we're not talking about, like, looks, although that's probably part of it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, you got to look imposing. Imposing physique, all of yeah. that stuff, but also, like, style of play, the, the ferocity with which these individuals uh, played with. So, yeah, uh, that that would be, I think, the definition of scariest player, sort of all-encompassing. Uh, where do you go? I'm going to, you know, be all over the place with this because I've crossed so many different generations. But I remember... Obviously, Falaniko Nunga. Yeah. I've never seen anybody look like that in my whole One life. One or all of the Nunga brothers. Would yeah, have they to could be all there, could be right? combined. <laughs> Al and Pitello and everything. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I'm gonna go Isaac Sapawanga. That's a good one. He's still, still scary. That dude walks around Hawaii Kai with his hood on stuff. He looks like the Unabomber on freaking steroids <laughs> and growth hormones. That dude is like so scary, but he's such a nice person. He's the kindest person, and and like every time he comes up and just says hello <laughs> and like shakes your hand with his enormous mitts, right, and then gives you like a little 
little bro hug, it's like you just feel safe because it's 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 Isaaku Sokoanga oh. who otherwise could just break you in half with his bare hands. And then I'll go to one third guy. This I'm gonna end it off with this Vincent the Road Grader Manuai, who was probably the most physical offensive lineman even in the NFL for a couple of years. People were, were like he was legendary about just how he could just physically impose his will. Yeah, God rest his soul for sure. Yeah. But the guy who I remember seeing Vince Manuai uh, in the training areas where they would do like box jumping and he would jump onto like the 48 inch and then like the 72 inch height box uh, as an offensive lineman like he would just straight vertical like he was kind of a freak of nature. Isaac and, and Isaac and both Noga was the same way like I've never seen one I 1980 I was in the 100 meter final at Kaiser High School. In the finals, in the 100 meters, was <laughs> Falaniko Noga, who won the shot put. You just don't do that. It's not yeah. a combined, like, you don't do that. It's not a decathlon, win the 100, win the shot put. I mean, that sh doesn't happen. Wasn't it like uh, KHON back in those days had the Hawaii sports final or, or one of those uh, shows, and they had Nico Noga, like, slow motion sprinting in the shot. If, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's what it was. And it, just, like, the, the muscles, like, how ripped he was. I mean, he just was like this Michelangelo statue. Sculptor, uh, I mean, uh, you know, like uh, this this incredible like uh, specimen of a human being. It was one of the most imposing things uh, that you've ever seen. And, in and your then life. the other one is Isaac Sopawanga. We were recruiting him. George Lumpkin and I were in Samoa. We watched him hit a volleyball so hard that he literally like flattened the volleyball, <laughs> and it was raining outside of Samoa High School. And then you watched him 360 dunk a basketball. Whatever. It's like this should not be humanly possible. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's good stuff. All right, the uh, yeah, I, I would say I'm agreeing. With with you all, all of the above. I think you you threw out some some really good names there. Some scary, scary dudes, uh, and some some nostalgia certainly that comes with those names. All right, what's next, Josh? Speaking of scary, Rich, you're scaring me right now. Uh, <laughs> let's turn to the National Football League. Better story involving a Hawaii-born NFL quarterback: Tua with the Dolphins this year, or Marcus with the Falcons? What an OT comeback! Yeah, the Falcons are in first place in the division. That well, was basically a game that was effectively for first place. And hey, look, they got a little bit of help because of the Carolina kicker who couldn't make any kind of PAT or, or field goal. Of course, they got the uh, uh, excessive celebration penalty, which hurt their cause, did the Panthers down the stretch there. But yeah, Marcus is in first place. This is a Falcons team that, you know, when you watch them play, uh, it's not always pretty, but they go out there and they lay hat on people. Like, this physical. is a Falcons team that is physical. Tua, obviously, that changes the, the dynamic for the Dolphins, and that was a heck of a come-from-behind victory against my Lions, but I think that's also exacerbated by the fact that it was my Lions, and if anybody's <laughs> going to give up a double-digit lead, it's them Honolulu boys in blue. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm going to be non-committal like you accuse me of every football game when I can't make a call based upon camera angles and certain you know things that are so close <laughs> to uh, overturn. Because when you look at Marcus and you look at Tua, you're looking at two great foundations, two great families, two great yeah. people, and two great really adversity stories, right? It says Tua, you know, the national press have been killing him for the last two or three years. Uh, a lot of people on social media have been killing Tua. Obviously, we all love Tua. 
and want him to be successful. To see him throw for like the highest quarterback rating in football this week, the fact that he threw for almost 400 yards, it was really four touchdowns. The one touchdown was a touchdown. They ruled was not. They ran it in from the one-yard line. So, I mean, you look statistically what he did this week and his accuracy, the fact that he played a healthy game is unbelievable. But when you look at Marcus, he was in oblivion. Here's a yeah. Heisman Trophy winner. Here's a guy that's done so much in this community, commercials, everything else, and yet he's behind Derek Carr. He's not playing. Will he ever get that chance again? Arthur Smith, his offensive coordinator, has given him that chance. They're winning. They're in first place. And even Marcus said, I've been in crazy football games my whole life, but that game yesterday was crazy how it ended and how they won and how they're in first place. Yeah. I love Marcus Antua. It's yeah, a he, tough one. he threw that late pick, but the receiver fell down. I actually felt like Marcus yeah. played pretty well. He, he came up clutch and it was kind of like, hey, this is lo almost looking a little bit like uh, the Oregon Duck Marcus Mariota. Some times. of his runs were awesome too, yeah. bro. Yeah, so, uh, you know, they're both great stories. Yeah. I do like the redemption arc of Tua Tongo Vailoa for sure. Uh, it's just amazing that these two guys, as you mentioned, so many similarities in terms of their backgrounds and their journeys. Uh, and they were both so close to one another in terms of the timeline and, and the chronology of these two incredible stories. Like, that's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. That, that's really incredible. So, uh, yeah, yeah, wonderful to see these guys uh, doing so well. If you had to pick one, I think right now, I just think the fact that, yeah, hey, look, it's in the NFC South, so 4-4 four four is first place, uh, but the Atlanta Falcons at 4-4 at four four in first place of that division and, and Marcus starting for a first-place uh, team in, in, that, uh, in that realm, that's pretty cool. All right, what's next? All right, guys, if you smell... The 2023 XFL season <laughs> its coming up. Uh, what do you think of the nicknames and logos for the upcoming XFL reboot, which, by the way, include the worst, the San Antonio Brahmas? <laughs> yeah, so here, here's, here's the names, the eight teams. You have the Arlington Renegades, okay, uh, D.C. Defenders, it's pretty like common. That. Houston Roughnecks, that's one that that's we okay. kind of knew about, right? And then yeah. uh, Orlando Guardians, um, uh, that's, you know, it's kind of, we've, we have a Guardians now in, in baseball. San Antonio Brahmas, that's interesting because it's the Brahma Bull, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who of course is behind this iteration of the XFL. That. <laughs> yeah, that used to be his alternate nickname, the Brahma Bull. He had the bull uh, tattoo on his arm, which I think has since been covered up. Uh, and so, you know, I, that's a weird one, yeah. but you could kind of understand maybe some of the background of that. The Seattle Sea Dragons, you got the hockey teams, the Kraken, you got the Sea Dragons here. Uh, St. Louis Battle Hawks, and what I think might be my personal favorite, but I'm, I'm also a fan of alliteration, the Vegas Vipers. I like that one. Uh, it's radio, so we can't show you the logos for these, but uh, what do you think about this collection of names? It sort of sounds like the names, you know, uh, back in the old Nintendo days when you would buy, like, a football <laughs> game, but they didn't have, like, the NFL licensing, yeah. and so they would just throw these, like, random nicknames on there for the teams. Like, these sound like those names. Yeah, and especially when you think about, you know, the, the money behind that, the, the guy that's really uh, leading this thing Dwayne The Rock Johnson I mean his marketing team his his ability to like I, I'm with three or four of those names but I'm not with three or four of the other names so I'm going like I agree with you. It's kind of like they could have spent more time, give them better nicknames it'd be sell more merchandising and it'd be an easier sell. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of like a not the greatest marketing guy in the world <laughs> but I'm not all in. Hey, yeah, it's amazing. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is taking like oh, all of incredible. pop culture over. I mean, the incredible. kind of weight that he now pushes around, uh, even when it comes to these superhero movies, right? This like you know hundred billion dollar industry Biggest unto itself, and he was able to basically, uh, based on his desires for the DC or Warner Brothers, uh, you know, cinematic universe, uh, he was able to like 
oust the CEO <laughs> and get like Henry Cavill's Superman back into the storyline. And so that's going to be a, a return going forward. And it's like, dude, this guy just pushes his weight around Amazing. and he can make things happen. And so I kind of give this XFL, like this iteration of it, this reboot of it, I give it a real strong chance I do of, too. of succeeding. Good TV contract. I, I do like the head coaches. I, I, I think the eight cities, the eight markets that they're trying to, you know, obviously start in are good. So, you know, we all got to hope for that. It's right. It's more jobs for players. It's more jobs sure. for coaches. There's marketing. There's, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, and we have to hope football is played both in the fall and in the spring for all of us football lovers. Seattle Sea Dragons, by the way, also the team June head Jones. coached by Jim Hazlitt. But you got, like, the band back together yeah. over there with June Jones and Wes Dan Swan Morrison. and, and Dan and Morrison guys. and Dennis McKnight and the whole thing, bro. Did and you get a call? No, because I, <laughs> I coach defense, and June knows I wouldn't leave. But the thing is, is... I, my son may get a call eventually, you know, to work in uh, that that team. And uh, it's just – it's good for everything. And, and you know what? June needs to coach because that's what he is. Yeah. That's what keeps yeah. him his heart beating. Yeah. No, that's that's pretty uh, pretty interesting. It'll be fun to see uh, these teams battle again the uh, XFL season to start in February, uh, I believe. All right. Uh, we got a little bit of time still here, huh, Josh? What we got next? Yeah, I think we can do one more here. Uh, college football, what do you think should happen in the aftermath of the Michigan State-Michigan locker room tunnel incident? And I should mention – uh, several players from Michigan State have been suspended indefinitely uh, because of that, as announced earlier today. And ESPN posted about four and a half minutes of tunnel footage yeah. in that uh, in that area. This stuff is pretty brutal. Like it's it's pretty disturbing. Some of that footage you can see Michigan State players, uh, at least uh, the the few that were involved with that, uh, were actually swinging their helmets at these two Michigan players. Uh, it basically is assault. Jim Harbaugh in a press conference today is suggesting that he can't imagine that the result of this investigation or of these findings or, or just the results of this incident uh, will not end with criminal charges. Uh, he's saying, despite the immediate apology from uh, the administration at Michigan State, he's saying that uh, an apology is just not enough here, that uh, there is more of a price that needs to be paid. Uh, I think that the other thing that's probably going to happen is they got to do something about that tunnel. You can't have two teams that have been battling it out on the field and, hey, look, this is football. It is a game and a sport that promotes violence and violent behavior. And at the end of a four-quarter battle between bitter rivals, you can't have players from both teams at the same time concurrently going through the tunnel. you got to do something about that, whether you change the dynamic of having separate tunnel entrances and exits or you got to have some kind of system where you get the visiting team off the field first and then the home team is able to go in. You just can't have these players mingling. That's not an excuse. This is an assault. This is something that should result in criminal charges, I think, for these Michigan State players. But they got to do something about that tunnel as well. Yeah, you're right. And any future stadium builds, or like you say, protocols have to include one team – both teams not going into the locker room are coming out for that matter at the same time, right? So that has to be changed. But I, I am with you. This is a penal society that we live in. If you do something where you're taking a helmet and hitting somebody over the head with it or any body part, and there's multiple players involved in that, that needs to be penalized in the court system. That's not enough to say, I'm sorry. Suspension is great because you're taking away something they love and a potential uh, career possibilities, right? But this is criminal and we have to get it across to our athletes and our, our fans whatever else if you do something criminal just because football is a, is a violent game it's violent play between the lines it's not violent 
after you're shaking. That's the beautiful thing about football, rugby, uh, kickboxing, UFC, is shaking the person's hand after yeah. after you battle. Yeah, that's what you would hope, especially with these two programs that are so forever linked, right? Even though they are bitter rivals, they're associated with one another because of that rivalry. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate to see. I do like the sentiment that Jim Harbaugh shared as well, where he said, hey, look, I take this so personally because these are, you know, the Michigan players involved, the ones who were basically the, the victims of this this attack. Um, he says, hey, I, these are players, uh, the parents of whom I have promised I will take care of. Right. I, will, I will make sure that I keep them out of harm's way. Uh, one of the pieces of video that made it around on uh, social media yesterday uh, was actually filmed by the mom of a recruit that was on a visit and so that's like the kind of stuff where I, I can understand why Jim Harbaugh takes that so personally and I kind of appreciated that yeah for sure and, and you know Jim Harbaugh he's a, he's a weird eclectic dude <laughs> but is. I agree wholeheartedly with this this is criminal you don't use your helmet to hit somebody fighting is bad enough but when you start swinging helmets around people can get hurt yeah yeah so just maybe somehow find a way to keep the two teams separated because you're just inviting trouble. Again, not to make an excuse, you're just kind of inviting that kind of stuff. Uh, all right, stop by Dixie Grill in IA for Monday Night Football. You can get 32-ounce Bud Lights for just 6 bucks, plus complimentary popcorn, uh, Southern-inspired football poo-poo. Uh, then from 7 to 9 p.m., you can win prizes with Dixie Grill's Trivia Night hosted by Geeks Who Drink. That's a lot of fun, so check that out here tonight. We will have coverage of Game 3 of the World Series following our show uh, at the top of the hour, so that's coming up. Stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll end things off with our best and worst. All right, welcome back. It is the home stretch for us. It is our veritable two-minute drill, and so you know how we like to end things here on Let's Talk Sports. Uh, with our best and worst, our resident football guru, Rich Miano, is in the house with me. So uh, let's get it started, Rich. What is your best? Christian McCaffrey. Oh. What, what is the acronym? Is it CM3 or CMC? CMC. CMC. Yeah. CMC. yeah, yeah. So, you know, you got to love this guy, right? I remember going to Stanford University. Dwayne Aquina gave me his uh, <laughs> golf cart to go around the campus. There's only one player I wanted to see. And they were loading the buses to go to some donor's dinner or whatever else. And I'm like, Dwayne, where's Christian? And he called him off the bus, and he wasn't on the bus. He had already flown to do a, another engagement whatever else. So I'm like... I love that guy in college. I love him in the pros. The fact that he's at the San Francisco 49ers and threw a touchdown, ran for a touchdown, caught a touchdown. And the whole story behind can he throw because he can do everything is pretty fascinating. I just think that was a great addition to the 49ers. Jesse Sapolu, one of my top five teams. Yeah, wait, what was it? It was uh, they were trying to ask if he could throw and yeah, somebody so pulled up some video of Kyle him. Kyle Shanahan was in his office and he kind of sent out a tweet to his team team or uh, email to his coaching staff and he's like, hey, does anybody know if Christian can throw? And somebody pulled up a, a, a like a 55-yard <laughs> spiral in practice or something like that and he goes, alright, we'll put it in the halfback option pass. Yeah, and it worked out. So he <laughs> throws, runs, and catches a touchdown and he's the first player to do that since like 05, LaDainian Tomlinson was the yeah. last Excited about the weapons. That. Pretty good stuff. All right, my best uh, Tennessee security guard. Did you see this? It went viral video at the Tennessee-Kentucky game where it looked like he was oh, standing yeah, in the end zone today. in the way of the cheerleaders that was awesome. or the dancers. And uh, and so it looked like he was getting into a bit of a dispute with the cheerleading coach. And then he broke out into like a flash mob type <laughs> of dance, and he started dancing. It's a pretty feel-good video. I it would recommend awesome. to check it out. It was, I showed it to my wife, and she loved it yeah, too. Yeah, it was good stuff. Uh, all right, what's your worst? My worst is kind of 
of a, a playoff of what we talked about earlier, and I wasn't there, but the Campbell uh, Kapale game, there were some fans, yeah. there's some players that went in the stands, they had to call the police, whatever else, and I'm just like, football is violent, right? And we all play it to kind of, you know, appease whatever, you know, phys- physicality we have. But anything that involves fans, anything that involves players going into the stands, anything that involves fighting after football games, to me, is, like, not a good thing for the future of our sport. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. My worst, uh, Kyrie Irving mixed it up at a post-game <laughs> press conference with reporter Nick Friedel. Uh, Irving posted about a film on social media, the film containing anti-Semitic, xenophobic, and anti-Islamic tropes, among other negative things. Nets ownership condemned the post. Kyrie did deleted it uh, yesterday, but got into it with this reporter uh, about the post and was basically saying, how am I promoting something if I'm just tweeting about it? It's like, well, you're putting it on your platform. So it's basically (laughs) an endorsement. Uh, Just uh, the fact that he doesn't grasp that uh, is kind of annoying uh, for a guy who also, I guess, was convinced that the earth was was flat. flat. But yeah, uh, yeah, Kyrie Irving, you're in the worst category today there, buddy boy. It goes to show you, you can go to Duke, but doesn't mean that you're a genius (laughs) when you graduate, if you graduate. That's right. Hey, how did your high school football team do follow us on our ESPN Honolulu social media platforms for the scoring live and ESPN Honolulu scoreboard final score of every prep football game will be posted at the end of Friday and Saturday nights for easy access to all scores mahalo to BMW of Honolulu Kid City and Ron D Solar Services also a mahalo to Rich Miano thanks for coming up here buddy I'll talk to you again soon Josh Pacheco mahalos thanks for hitting the dump button hopefully in the nick of time <laughs> uh, because of my man Rich we'll see you tomorrow everybody let's talk sports